to the Irish NFL show live on Friday night and I'm a week closer to the draft. I'm a week closer to the season. Hi Brian, hi Colin, how are we boys? Good. Good guys. Yeah, happy Easter. Happy Easter, happy Johnny boys in a few days. Uh, we're delighted we're just bring him in right now. Our boys, special guest this evening, delighted to have him on as well. We're going to talk a bit about the Jets, we're going to talk a bit about the, about the NFL in general, maybe the draft as well. Brian Costello, from a, he's a Jets beat writer for the New York Post, works in New York Radio as well. Brian, welcome into the show, man. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate you coming on. But Brian, you were telling us offhand uh, just before we went live, you've got a bit of Irish blood in you. Yeah? That's right. All Irish blood. All four of my grandparents came over from Ireland. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly where. I used to have a map growing up in my house of Ireland with all the counties. And I remember County <laughs> Kerry. I remember Kerry was definitely one that my grandmother was from. Uh, we had a shillelagh over from Ireland hanging up that they, so yeah, a lot of Irish blood. So yeah, I, I told you guys, most people in America call me Brian Costello, but you guys can say Costello. Cause that's always what my older relatives always said that came over from Ireland. Kerry's a, a great part of the world, Brian. My, my mother's from Kerry, so lots of relatives down in uh, the kingdom as it's uh, known <laughs> over here. Um, I suppose, look, the, the big story uh, of the, the week is obviously Sam Darnold. And I know yep. that you, you wrote a piece in the Post, um, I think, uh, titled, there, There's Plenty of Blame to Go Around in the Darnold Divorce. Can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, what went wrong? Because there were such high hopes, obviously, when he was drafted. And maybe your thoughts on, you know, what the, the Jets got in exchange for, for trading him. Sure, yeah. I mean, it was a bad situation all around. Um, you know, and, and Sam, Sam gets some blame, you know, Sam didn't play well. And, um, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people just want to say, oh, you know, it was Adam Gase. It was the offensive line. It was no wide receivers. But Sam gets some blame too. There's a lot of players that it just doesn't work out and he didn't play very well, but he wasn't in a great situation. He comes in, you know, and he gets thrown, thrown out right away. And Todd Bowles gets fired after his first season. Mike McCadden gets fired a few months later. Uh, they never did a good job of building the offensive line, whether it was Mike McCagan or Joe Douglas didn't do a good job. They, they drafted Mackay Beckton last year. Other than that, they didn't really, you know, they didn't really improve the line very much. And if you look at the guys he was throwing the ball to, uh, you know, if you, if you name in the best receivers he had, it would be Robbie Anderson, and then they let him leave before last year. And Jamison Crowder, who's a nice slot receiver, but he's not a game changer. So it was a you know it was a bad situation all around. And as far as the compensation they got, I thought it was fair because you know I know some Jets fans were upset. They thought that he should have gotten more. But if you really look at it, if you put if you say you're a Panthers fan, you know Jets fans look at it through their lens. If you're a Panthers fan. You're getting this guy. He was the worst rated quarterback in the NFL last year. And that's not me saying he was the worst quarterback. That's statistically he was the worst quarterback in the NFL by QB rating. What are you going to give up for him? You know, and it's they're taking a flyer. So. That Joe Douglas was able to get a second-round pick, even though it's a year from now, uh, I think that was a good move because the Jets are rebuilding. This isn't a one-year rebuild. No one expects them to contend this year. This is all about this year's draft, next year's draft, next year's free agency, and maybe in 2022 they can contend for a playoff spot. So I, I thought the compensation was fair, and also everyone knew that the Jets were moving on from Sam Donald. Like it, it's, been, it, it's been pretty clear they were drafting Zach Wilson for a while now. Um, so they didn't have much leverage. So I, I thought what he got was pretty good. Brian, you, you touched on there a rebuild, and if you look over the past number of years, the amount of stockpiling they've done in terms of the picks they've put together, you know, two yeah. fourth rounds this year, two second rounds, Jamal Adams trade, 
you know, everybody's kind of locked in there that Zach Wilson is, is obviously the second pick, but no one really is touching on that 22 pick, what they're going to do with that. The two picks in the second round, would they potentially look to trade up and come out of fourth round with three players potentially? Yep. Yeah, I actually just finished writing a story about what they're going to do at 23 and 34. So they have this year, they have two first round picks, one second round pick, and two third round picks. And, you know, the 23rd pick from the Seahawks and 34, it's the second pick in the second round. I think they're pretty sweet spots for them because, you know, the, the silver lining on them having a terrible roster and they have a terrible roster is Joe Douglas can go a whole bunch of different ways. You know, I think they need a cornerback desperately. Uh, I, that's my highest priority. But if you want to tell me you think it's guard or you think it's linebacker or you think it's edge rusher or you think it's running back or you think it's wide receiver, you can make the case for all those positions and be right. Um, you know, that's <laughs> that's the flip side when you're 2-14. and 14. It, 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 The draft gets a little easier because you can go a bunch of different directions. They also, with all those needs, you know, let's they're at 23. Last year, the Patriots were at 23, and they traded back with the Chargers. The Chargers wanted to move up and get a linebacker, and the Patriots moved back and got a second-round pick and a third-round pick from, from the Chargers. So let's say Joe Douglas wants to do that. He could do that, and then, then he can fill more holes. You know, they have 10 picks right now, but maybe he wants 12 picks. Uh, and then 34, you guys know, the way this works is the draft Thursday night's the first round, um, you know, and then we spend all day Friday talking about who's left. Right, so this guy's left top of the draft, and and all oh, these teams want to move up. Teams want to move up. Teams are trying to move up in the second round. Well, the Jets have the second pick in the second round, so they could trade that pick if they want to. I don't think they trade both. I'm not saying that, but I think one of the two, you could see a trade back situation where Douglas gets more picks. So to me, those like we're all going to focus on Zach Wilson, and obviously this draft will be defined by how he does. But Joe Douglas could really improve his team with, at pick 23 and pick 34. That famous line in the second round where they pick in the top five. Oh, we had a we had a, a first round grade on them. All yes. Have a first round grade on them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And they, and there's always guys who fall to the first round who you're like, oh, you know, there's there's always forty guys who have a first round grade in thirty two cases. So, um, you know, that's that's always a story on day two of the draft. Oh, these teams are trying to move up. Teams are trying to move up. So the Jets can definitely take advantage of that. I seem to remember the Colts trying to say they, they had a first-round grade on Tom Brady at some point. <laughs> well, everyone says that now. No, yeah, nobody yeah, nobody's exactly. saying that in 2000. Now, now everyone has a scout who said we should take Tom Brady, and, and nobody listened to them. <laughs> so, so, Brian, I mean, I love the point about Donald. I mean, I think the stat that stands out to me is he was 35th in QBR, and we only have 32 teams. So yes. anybody like it, that's never going to be a great statistic. No. You, you allude to the fact that the Jets have a lot of needs and a lot of requirements. It wasn't just the quarterback. It wasn't just Donald last year. I mean, there's a lot of things. But they've had a very active, and I'd say a pretty good, free agency. I mean, they've tried to address pass catching with Corey Davis, Keenan Cole. You know, they've had some other good pickups I think could do a lot of good business there. Tevin Coleman, Sheldon, lots of different players that they're picking up in, in places there. A, I know the story's not written. We still have to have the draft. You have to have training camp. You have to have the cuts and figure out how it all's going to plan together. But do you not think that Joe Douglas is kind of putting together something, you know, a bit more meaningful there? And how do you think, or what do you think his expectations are of this team going into the new season in what he's done so far? I think, you know, their hope this season is to be better, obviously, than 2-14, and 14, which shouldn't be hard. But I don't think anyone is going to have delusions of, like, this team playoff team. Um, 
you know, if they get to five wins or six wins, huh, that's a lot better than two and fourteen, right? So, um, you know, I don't think they can. They're going to have a rookie quarterback, and look, they're going to pretend they're going to sign some veteran. Whether they had Brian Hoyer here visiting yesterday, whether they sign him or someone else, they're going to have a pretend competition in the summer. You know, oh, you know, and then Zach Wilson's going to win that competition. <laughs> that's what always happens, and he'll start the season. So they're going to be going the year with a rookie quarterback, and like I said, they have a lot of different holes to fill a new coach, but I don't think expectations will be high this year. I, I think Joe Douglas is playing the long game here, and I think that's why you see him willing to take the second and fourth round picks next year for Sam Darnold. Mm-hmm. And even when he was unloading guys, they, they in October they started unloading some veteran players like uh, Steve McClendon and Avery Williamson, um, and, and they, they were getting picks for 2022 for those guys. It wasn't 2021. So I think Douglas was already thinking then, you know, this is going to be a couple of years. And I think with the draft picks, it's not just about drafting guys. I also think he wants ammunition if a trade comes up. Uh, you know, I know one that, like, like that they point to inside the Jets as, like, it was a really good trade was the Colts trading for DeForest Buckner last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was unexpected. No one saw Buckner becoming available, and the Colts pounced. And the Colts are, the Colts are one of these teams that the Jets are modeling themselves after. And I can see them, you know, they, they want to be in position if something like that happens with all those draft picks. Yeah. And, and sure, even if they have another bad season, then they do a 1-15 and or 1-16 now. Or two yeah, yeah, get used to 1-16, yeah. 1-16, and, 16, and um, they can always point to uh, Peyton Manning's first season with the Colts if they're not <laughs> themselves on the Colts. Let's, let me tell you, they, they got to stop pointing to the examples of where things went right because nothing's gone right for the Jets in 10 years. So they, they just need to win some more games. But I do think the bar is low. I think five games, six games, if they win those, then, then it's okay. But, yeah, I mean, the, the problem with the Peyton Manning argument is I think they said that with Mark Sanchez's rookie year. I think they said that in Geno Smith's rookie year. I think they said that in Sam Darnold's rookie year. It's like Jets fans are like, okay, none of these guys are turning into Peyton Manning. What's going on here? <laughs> I've actually sat the other night. I'm just going to ask your opinion uh, on Zach Wilson. Brian, obviously – a lot of he's really come up the way in the last maybe six or seven months in that sense, you know, into that number two slot. What's your thoughts on the Jets picking him? And also, have you any concerns with him coming from BYU? You know, obviously the reputation of the, of the college might not be as big as like an Alabama. Yeah. Uh, have you have you any concerns there? Yeah, I mean, I, first of all, guys, I am not a college scout. I don't pretend to be. Like, I watch college football casually, and obviously with the draft, I start trying to study these guys and talk to people about them and. So, you know, I've read a lot. I've watched some film, but I didn't watch this guy play a lot. I think it's a risky pick. You know, he, he had really one good year um, in college. And we've seen guys that come to the NFL who ha- had that and didn't have the success in the NFL after that. You know, Mark Sanchez was a guy like that. Had one really good year and, um, you know, didn't, didn't do well in the NFL. So there's some risk involved. Uh, he obviously has great traits. He, like his arm, his arm is incredible. I mean, that throw on his pro day rolling to his left and throwing to his right. I mean, people want to say, oh, big deal. Oh, that, that's a big deal. That, that was a big-time throw that not every guy can make. So he has some talent there. In terms of BYU, I mean, the Jets have done the big school thing, and that hasn't worked very well, right? USC is a big school, and that, that didn't work. So I, I, I don't read too much into that. You know, Chad Pennington was, did really well here. He came from Marshall. Um, you know, so I, I think – I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that he's coming from BYU – I do think the level of competition he played in 2020 is a concern. You know, they, they played teams, um, North Alabama, and, you know, these the schools with directions in their names, West Texas. Like, they, they, 
there's some like that's a little scary to me because you watch some of those tape and it's like guys are running wide open. Um, and the biggest concern for me is no one's in his face. Like the offensive line is just completely giving him a pocket. He has all day to throw. Guess what? That ain't happening with the Jets because <laughs> I can't remember the last time a quarterback all had all day to throw with the Jets. Probably back in the days of Nick Mangold and Jabrickashell Ferguson and Alan Stanica and those guys, and that's a long time ago now. So he's going to have to be able to play with with men in his face and pre- getting pressure. And I, I I didn't really see that a lot. And I and again I haven't watched every snap he took, but he didn't have to deal with that a lot at BYU. So that would be a concern of mine as well. Right, and um. I suppose interested in in getting your take on the the new coaching staff um, moving on from uh, Adam Gase. Uh, I suppose doing better than they, Gase is going to be akin to you know being taller than Danny DeVito. But what <laughs> what is the what is the feeling amongst uh, the the Jets faithful about the new coaching staff? Well, the fans love him. The fans love him, and, and that's a lot what you just said. He's you know he's the anti Gase. He, he's not Adam, they would have taken anyone but Adam Gase. I think so. You know, I'm, we'll see. He, there's a lot of guys who are good assistant coaches, and then they become they become head coaches, and it doesn't work out. We see that all the time. You know, Todd Bowles is a great defensive coordinator. He is not a good head coach. Um, so, uh, you know, I I, I have I don't know if I call myself skeptical. I just want to see the guy in action, really, before I christen him a great head coach. The fans are already there. The fans think he's fantastic, and I get it too. He runs the stairs before the game. He's you know he's built like a linebacker. He, he jumps all around the sideline. He shows emotion. Um, I understand a lot of stuff, and that's great. But, like, we'll see. The head coaching job is a big job. There's a lot to it. And, um, you know, we'll see how. I'll let you know in a couple of years how he does. Sorry, guys. Just your thoughts on the division as a whole. I mean, I know the Bills were very strong yeah. last year. Um, the Patriots have obviously done a lot. They've had a lot of activity in free agency. The Dolphins seem to be building a nice unit down there. But if the Jets were to get it right, you know, it's going to be a very competitive division. You would see a lot of teams beating each other that they could potentially get themselves back in the race at some stage. Over the next yeah, year. yeah, it's a tough division now. You're right. I mean, for years and years, it's been chasing the Patriots, and now it's become, you know, the Bills look like they're going to be good for a long time. I mean, Josh Allen looks legit, legit, and the defense is very good. Uh, the, you know, Stephon Diggs trade was very good. I mean, it's clear they have a good GM and a good head coach and a good quarterback now, and so that's a good combination to have, and they're going to be good for a while. The Dolphins, I think with the Dolphins, it's all about Tua. You know, if he, Does he become a, a star? Uh, can he develop? And then they'll be good because they have a good they have a good surrounding cast, uh, you know, but it's just a question mark of him. Yeah, I'm not so sure about him. And then, yeah, you're right. I mean, Belichick went out and spent a lot of money this year, and you know, he's not going to just lie down and be a doormat in this division. So, they're, you know, they're going to be going for it. So it's, it's going to be a tough division, I think going forward and it just makes the Jets and Joe Douglas's job that much harder. Um, that being said, you know, the beautiful thing about sports is the unexpected, right? Like we all think we know what's going to happen and we all think how, how it's going to go. And, but things could, things could change quickly uh, and they usually do in the NFL. Um, Brian, I mean, harking back to Jets history a little bit, because I know you've covered the Jets for a, a long period of time there. I mean, obviously, you go all the way back to Broadway Joe and winning the one Super Bowl and, and things like that. But not, not that far. I don't go back that but far. You, you, you don't. But you know, obviously, I know Jets, history, Jets yeah. history, not your history, yeah. I'll say. They're, they're, they're dog years, I call them, covering the Jets. Yeah. So, 
the salad days, I would have said, in, in that regard. But yes, it has been dog years since then because, of course, other than, you know, there's been the occasional playoff appearances. The, uh, the Rex Ryan, sorry, um, uh, Rex Ryan era was obviously mm-hmm. very exciting with two AFC Championship games, you know, making a very viable team, obviously a very strong defense in that time. But what is the fundamental problem? That it's almost like Cleveland Brown-esque. It all seems to go wrong. As you said, they've tried different ways, big schools, little schools, different philosophies. Help us understand why 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 is why are the Jets the Jets? <laughs> wow, that is a tough question. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think I think the history gets a little overstated in terms of like 40, 50 years because they have had some periods of success. Uh, you know, with like they did the two two championship games under Rex. They went to the championship game with Parcells. They went to a championship game in 82. Um, you know, they, they have gotten there. You know, if you're a Detroit Lions fan, right, the Detroit Lions haven't won a playoff game since 1991, I think it is. So, and they haven't won a championship lo- longer than the Jets from the 50s. So there, there are teams that are worse. I'll just take the last decade, you know, because that's really when they've been bad. And to me, fundamentally, the biggest problem has been uh, ownership, and not in terms of them thinking they know too much. It's who they've listened to. And they made decisions. Um, you know, they, they listened to they had, they hired a guy named Jed Hughes who hired to hire John Idzik as their GM, and that was a disaster. Then they hired Charlie Casserly in 2015. He hires his friends. He hires Mike McCagnan, who no one else in the NFL had ever ever interviewed for a GM job, but he worked for he worked for Casserly. So you know, Casserly hired him, and that that was a disaster. Uh, you know, with Adam Gase, McCagnan hired Gase. Really, uh, you know, he that was his hire, and. That didn't work out. So they, they just, I think they just listened to the wrong people. And now it's Joe Douglas's show. So we'll see if he can straighten it out. Because he hired Robert Sala. That was him. And now he's going to pick mm-hmm. his quarterback. So I think it's just been, you know, having the wrong people in charge a lot. And more than anything else. Because you could say they had terrible players. But somebody's been picking those players. So it's really on them. Of, of who the guys picking the players. And yeah, they, they are Browns-esque right now. They've been worse than the Browns over the last, I think, it's five years. They have the worst record in the NFL, um, you know, which is hard to believe. <laughs> but they've uh, they just haven't gotten it right. So you know, now it's Joe Douglas's turn. And, and Brian, I love you calling out the '82 championship game because yeah. this year could be the third draft when we see five quarterbacks go in the first round. We had yeah. it in '99. We had it in 1983, and of course the Jets in 1983 with Elway, with Marino, with Kelly. They went with Ken O'Brien, I think, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yes. So, um, let's, let's let's hope Zach Wilson doesn't prove that only. Yeah, and Dan, and Dan Marino was still on the board. Yes. That's the key thing. Some of those guys you named were already drafted. So you True. Can't, you can't say yep. the Jets should have drafted John Elway, but you can say they should have drafted Dan Marino, maybe. Now, that, that one, you know, I, it's funny because I've gotten an email of, if Zach Wilson doesn't work out, this is going to be the biggest disaster in the history of the Jets. And I said, come on. And I'm like... They drafted Ken O'Brien over Dan Marino. I'm like, that's that's the bar that this has to clear. So what you're saying basically is Sam Darnold. I go like Sam Darnold and Justin Fields would have to make a Hall of Fame. And Zach Wilson would have to be okay. Because Ken O'Brien was okay. That's another thing. Ken O'Brien played for like 10 years. He wasn't terrible, but he just wasn't Dan Marino. You know, that's the bar that, that this has to clear if it's the, the biggest disaster in Jets history. Just the last one for me, Ryan. Uh, I know you've sort of touched on it there. Obviously, it was Zach Wilson and, and you know what happened last season for the Jets. But what would constitute an acceptable season for you? I know, I know, I know. 
we're not talking about like Lombardi Trophy MVP performances, but as a Jets fan that has been through a few, as a Jets fan and as somebody that works in talking about the Jets, what what would you take right now uh, next season? Well, I'm not a fan, so I'm not clarify that. I'm just a journalist. I just kind of <laughs> I, I've never rooted for the Jets a day in my life, so that, that makes me able to just examine them. I think from a fan's perspective, uh, what they're going to want to see this year is just competence because they haven't seen that in a while. And I don't know what that translates to into wins. I, I, again, I, I think I do think five or six wins should be acceptable because they won two last year. So that, that's going up a lot. But I think, I think they just want to feel like they're going in the right direction. Like Zach Wilson trend, is trending the right way when the year ends. If he looks like he, you know, he has something and they, they can play there and they, a few other positions start contributing more and they, they think Salah has a plan and has it together, I think they'll be happy. I don't think Jets fans are going to be delusional about this year. Um, they, in August, they always get a little happy and say, oh, you know, they're going to be good. But I think if they really think about it and look at it, they know this team is behind Buffalo, Miami, New England right now. Um, and, you know, this year is just, just kind of going to be a transition year for them. And I think next year you can start saying, okay, you know, it's time for them to, to be a contender. Right, I think every fan of every team in August thinks that their team is going to the Super Bowl. Exactly, so that's what it is. Yeah, and the Jets ends every year. I, they amaze me. They always come back in August, and they there's a few times a year where they're just delusional, and August is one. <laughs> August is one of them, and it always makes me laugh because even if the guys who are really delusional, they think the team's not any good. When they start zero and three, it's fire everyone, fire everyone, and it's like, well, you guys knew this team was going to be this bad, um, you know, but they. they Fans never change. They they always have hope. Well, that's that's the beauty of football. And I suppose with the Jets and for you covering them, um, as poor as the, the football has been, rarely have they been dull uh, off <laughs> yeah. the field. They've they've at least been entertaining. Even last season with uh, with Greg Williams, etc. Um, yeah. So we hope we hope that it'll be entertaining both on and off the field. Give you plenty to write about. And look, we we appreciate you taking the time to come and chat to no us problem. this evening, Brian. And hopefully we can have you back on again in the not too distant future. Yeah, I call that job security. The Jets, <laughs> <laughs> the Jets always being interesting, but I appreciate it, guys. It was a lot of fun. Um, you know, like I said, this this is close to home for me being in, in Ireland. So my mother's going to be very excited when I tell her this. So. Thanks for having me on any time. Appreciate it, Brian. All the best, Thanks. And that was Brian uh, Costello. I mean, people in the South K say Costello. I say Costello. I don't know. Is this like a Northern thing? It's Costello. It's, it's And the good thing is he knew it was Costello and he's given up trying to correct people. So I'm going to blatantly do this live. I'm going to test something here. So if you don't hear me talking, that it doesn't work, but it's still relevant that, to the that show. That would be a real pleasure, wouldn't it, Michael? Yeah, good thing, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, can you hear me now? Can you hear me at the minute right now? Can anybody yes, hear me? Yes, you're co coming through loud and clear. Thank God. Anyway, right, <laughs> really quickly, draft night, boys, uh, is coming up. Uh, when? when? When is the draft called? <laughs> We're, we are less than three weeks from the, the draft. We are indeed, and I am so busy that I couldn't even make a full screen video, but April the 29th, half 11, Brian has been allowed to stay up all night, including Mark as well, and uh, we're, we're looking forward to it. We're going to be live, maybe Brian might come in, uh, Brian Costello that is, or sorry, Costello, 
might come in uh, afterwards and talk about that Zach Wilson pick because that Zach Wilson boys, like we, I guess we could stay in the Jets because we, we got Carbon Mazzotti coming on the, just coming in a few minutes, but I think that is the riskiest pick in the draft. I really do. Well, well, Mike, in fairness, we haven't seen who everyone else is going to pick yet, so there, there could be worse. I mean, you know, Al Davis has, has sadly left us, but so we're not going to have a Jamarcus Russell or a Darius Hayward Bay pick. But until everyone picks, you don't know. And oh, man, come on. They are intriguing with the 23rd pick uh, there and having the 34th in how they might move around towards the latter half of the draft. So we could be talking about the Jets quite a bit on Draft Night Live, more for what they do later in the draft as opposed to picking number two. We've got like four minutes, Colin. We'll start with you, McDonald to the Panthers. How excited were you when that move happened the other night? Um, I think that Sam Darnold, we discussed it during the year. <laughs> Clearly, Carolina decided they didn't want to give up the capital to take the risk. I don't know. I, I don't have a huge amount of faith in Sam Darnold. I think his processing speed isn't quick enough. Um, and I think that's a big issue. And I think if you're a team who has questions over the processing speed of your quarterback, that is the biggest thing in, in this league. So um, they look, they, they get him on the cheap this year. They can try it. They, ha they have um, Christian McCaffrey coming back. They have weapons around him. He gets a, a fresh start, which was what everyone said he needed. So let's let's see. Um, he he is being heralded as the big winner, uh, certainly in this. It's probably a risk for the Jets, as you pointed out, in, ter in terms of taking Wilson. And um, it's a risk for the Panthers because obviously they have tried it with Teddy Bridgewater. That didn't work. They're now trying it with, with Sam Darnold to see if that works. Um they are going to pick up that fifth-year option. Uh, so they're kind of committing to him for two years. Let's see. I I still have my doubts. Okay, Brad. Yeah, well, I think there's two scenarios in play here. I mean, the Panthers are picking a number eight, and it, it's become very evident as the months have gone on that they plan to take a quarterback. So I think they've looked at it and said, you know, if they're potentially going to look, look to move up the, move up in, in, the, in the draft order, where are they going to go to negotiate? Because the Falcons aren't going to negotiate with them at four because they're in the, in the division. So they're not going to do anything to help them improve their team. And they probably looked at it and said, they've evaluated the quarterbacks, made a selection of who they want, probably recognised that they're not going to get him at eight. So they've said, you know what, let's make the trade. And Or they, they sit tight and a quarterback falls them and it's, it's not the guy in which they want. So it's a risky kind of position they're at. So I think they've just decided, let's just make the decision now. It's become very clear that Teddy Bridgewater isn't the guy in which they you know, invested that large sum of money in that, in that last year. They've even kind of publicly declared this week that if a trade was to come come to pass in the next few months, they would they would jump on board with that. If not, he can stay around, but potentially he won't be the number one starter. So, I think it's a tricky slot, and they've recognised that they need to make the move. Uh, Mark, he still looks very young, isn't he, Sam Darnold? Yeah, I mean, he can really go off. Yeah, he's twenty three. I mean, we've got quarterbacks coming in this draft that are the same age as him. Like, um, he has undoubtedly got talent. I think we've seen more from Sam Darnold in terms of capability and in terms of play than we've seen some from some other quarterbacks, <coughs> Drew Locke, uh, for example, in the league at times. So I think it's very unfair to completely write him off as uh, has been and never will be. But I will say this, these reclamation projects rarely work out. Like, 
probably the upside on this is something like what Ryan Tannehill has done with the Titans now. Um, and there's very few that spring to mind. I mean, somebody tried to give the comparison of Favre. And it was like, well, he'd never played for the Falcons when Green Bay traded for him. That's a bit of a ridiculous one. But someone who's been in the league a couple of years at quarterback and he goes to kind of rehabilitate their career. I'm struggling for a good comparison. Tannehill's about the best upside I can see. And yes, if the Panthers, with McCaffrey, with their talent that they've got around them, with obviously the ability to upgrade further uh, at the pick they've got in the first round, um, you know, can leverage that and can get Tannehill-type consistency from Darnell, I think they'll be pretty happy with that. But it's still a limited ceiling. It's still probably an overpay, considering it was very much a buyer's market on Darnold. Um and yeah, um, like Brian um, Costello just joined us said, if Tarnold turns into the Hall of Fame, and uh, then they will regret, obviously, um, the, the Zach Wilson decision. It's a bold move. I actually like it in part from Jet's perspective, but it's still a bit of an overpay for the Panthers, and I think it's risky for them as well. Uh, we'll, we'll try and get into this maybe at the end of the show, but we have a special guest coming on now. Uh, now, this guest came on our Super Bowl coverage, gentlemen, and it was great to speak to her on, obviously, the biggest day of all for her, her the, the team that she works for won the Super Bowl in their home city. Uh, I know it's a big weekend as well in Tampa Bay with WrestleMania, so I'm just going to bring her in. Uh, welcome in to Carmen Vitali. Carmen, it's great to chat to you again. Welcome in. Thank you guys so much. It's so good to be back. Carmen, I, it's, I'd say you've had a, a crazy few weeks, yeah? It's been a bit mad. Yeah, it finally slowed down a little bit ago, and I actually just got back from vacation, so that's why you see how tan I am. <laughs> I was in Mexico on a beach for a few weeks, or for a few days. So, uh, yeah, I finally got a chance to slow down and, and have a good time. <laughs> Cameron, can you talk to us, I suppose, about that, the aftermath for the become the first team to win the Super Bowl in their home stadium and not just win it I mean absolutely dominated in a manner that was unexpected um I, I think safe to say for everyone I mean certainly there were people who you know thought that the Bucs could upset the Chiefs but I don't think anyone saw quite the the game playing out in the manner that it did what was the aftermath like uh you know to be around the players to be around BA and that coaching staff yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said people thought we could upset or the Bucks could upset the Chiefs. I mean, that the Bucks were going into this as the underdog. Tom Brady was going in to a Super Bowl as an underdog, which was kind of unbelievable, especially in your home stadium. But the team was just, it was it's such a huge celebration, not only because of the whole winning the Super Bowl thing, but then we didn't get to have an after party. And that was the first time we all got to be together and kind of celebrate with one another just like this really kind of trying season we were all kept very separate for a very long time um and you it's it's hard when you don't get that coworker interaction that you're used to so everyone was just super excited um you know i think it was a huge just moment for bruce arians obviously he's the oldest coach now to have won a super bowl and he it, he waited so long for that um you know, he waited so long to get a head coaching position, period, even back with the Cardinals. So it was exciting to see him reach that pinnacle as a head coach with us. Carmen, the rookies are supposed to settle in in their fourth season, not be playing in Super Bowls and, and winning them. And Worfs and Winfield Jr., you know, in particular the playoffs, they contribute so much to the team. But yet the, the Bucs already seem to be the favourites for next year. They're way down the pecking order, even on the prices. But this team can only get better, surely. 
I mean, that's kind of the overall sentiment with these guys. This was, you know, the first year in this offense with Tom Brady, which obviously changed a lot. And I can't speak enough to what these rookies especially were able to do just because there was no offseason. They did not get to wade into these waters. They were thrown headfirst into the deep end. Uh, and they just exceeded all expectations. But now they're comfortable. Now they're going to be second-year players. And now you have all of your starters back. And so you can pick up right where you left off. And you're only going to get better when your baseline is where this, this team ended at the end of the year. I mean, they were playing their best football in the Super Bowl. Uh, and so I think that they're going to pick up from that point and then only go up. And that's really, really exciting. And I think that there's no doubt in any of these guys' minds that that's what they're going to do. Um, Carmen, I was going to ask about the mood around the franchise because of that clever business during the offseason. Obviously, Levante David's back, Chris Godwin's back, Tom Brady's restructured his deal, uh, you know, Gronk's come back. And you've got all 22 starters back in the side, which is fantastic to see. But of course, we come back to the draft, and we've said about the impact Worths and Winfield Jr. had last season. And shucks, you got to pick 32 now in the first round. Oh, that's terrible. But um, who or what do you think? And I mean, I'm asking you to play a bit of amateur GM here. Could be a point that the team could focus on, or could maybe look to expand upon. Or who's catching your eye in the draft in terms of a great talent? And you're kind of going, geez, I'd love to see them come to Tampa next year. Well, that's the thing is now this team kind of has the luxury, as Jason Light, our GM, put it, of drafting for depth. So you don't need someone to come in like Tristan Wirfs, like Antoine Winfield Jr. and make an impact right away. You have those guys. So now I feel like you kind of look towards what position group utilizes depth a little bit more. You look at, I look at, especially like the defensive line. They thrive on a certain rotation. Those edge guys, uh, the edge rushers, outside linebackers, they thrive on a rotation, um, especially with the way that this defense like rotates people in and out. There is not one person that was on the active roster that did not see some type of playing time throughout the season on this defense. So for those reasons, I feel like I think in the top rounds, I would like to see some defensive players get in there just because they could be called on to get in the game right away or to make an immediate impact, whereas offensively it looks like you're really just kind of protecting against injury so you can afford to take you know some developmental players there that's my thought process anyway I don't know if that's Jason Light's thought process and his team uh, I have full trust uh, in what they are doing but I think for me I'd like to see maybe like a defensive lineman I, the Bucks have been paired with guys like Levi Enrique out of Washington who was Vita Bay's former teammate I think that would be really cool Christian Barmore out of Alabama seems like he uh, you know is kind of rising on the draft boards, I don't know if he'll be available at 32. Um, and then some of the edge rushing guys, too. I just did a prospect primer for our website on Aziz Ojolari from um, Georgia. And yeah, he seems like an interesting addition you know, to the rotation of Sha Shaq and JPP. So we'll see. Again, I trust these guys. So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they've got 17 games to get through now as well. So it's one extra. 17? Yes. That's, it's exciting, and we get to play another AFC opponent, which is kind of cool. I like those inter-conference matchups because, obviously, we don't see those teams as often. I was very, you know, we obviously spoke to Carmen. It was a pre-recorded interview this Saturday. I think it was the Saturday before the game, and I really did think, to be honest, that that defense was, was going to come up big, but I never thought it would come up that big. That it, you know, <laughs> They were unbelievable. But one thing that stood out to me in, in all my time uh, of watching – sport, Carmen doesn't matter if it's the NFL or anything, was the sheer 
party that happened afterwards. Now, we all know, we've seen the videos of the players that have went worldwide. Like, I had my dad that have never watched, has never watched the NFL in his life, text me about Tom Brady on a boat and stuff. Uh, what, what was that like? Because we've got a bar over here called um, Temple Bar. So we, we put out a tweet called the, uh, the, the Temple Bar Bucks. I've basically done that there. But that, uh, Carmen, that must have been an incredible experience after just, just those few days. Uh, yeah, it was. I'm sorry to say that I guess I contributed to some of the video of Tom Brady getting out. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, one of my videos, I was like standing right there. I was trying to record absolutely everything because I just, I personally didn't want to forget uh, everything at, at that boat parade. The after party in general, like I talked about before, it was just the first time that we all got to be together. And on top of that, uh, we had Ludacris and Migos performing, who are two huge, I don't know, I, I have to imagine Ludacris is worldwide. I don't know if Migos has made it worldwide yeah. yet, but they're very, they're one of my favorite artists um, or groups. And, then, and Ludacris has always been one of my favorites. So we had heard kind of, rumors that these were the guys that were going to perform but we were all just kind of like no way like we're used to being like the little brother of this league like no one pays us any attention so i'm like there's no way Ludacris would show up to our after party and sure enough he did i, I didn't get there until a little bit later because i had to finish up some stuff at the stadium um and so by the time i got there sure enough Ludacris was on stage and everyone was just going crazy it was so much fun uh, there was multiple decks at the Florida Aquarium that were taken up just for just for us. Uh, and then the boat parade happened a couple of days later, and I got to be on the defensive boat, which was I was with, I was with my guys, and they were just it was so much fun. Um, I had a little bit of a mishap because I got hit with a beer can uh, that came in from the shoreline onto our boat. I think somebody must must have launched it, but uh, there were a couple drinks to be had after that to deal with the pain. But it was just the entire city was just insane. And like we're on these boats going down the Hills Hillsborough River, which runs right through downtown Tampa. And there's people lining the shores, lining the banks, and thousands of people. And the energy was that it was a perfect day. Just it was I've never experienced anything like this. And I definitely had one of those moments while I was on the boat. Like, I don't know how my life gets better. <laughs> <laughs> Like the column, like, and it's one thing that Carmen said there, like, column, column, just correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think anybody's won, I guess, the biggest sports trophy over here, Carmen, is the Champions League. Column, I don't think anybody's ever won the Champions League in their home city, or am I wrong? I don't think that's ever happened, so it was a huge achievement for Tampa Bay to win it. Yeah, that was, that was just the most special, and I think during COVID times, it was the ideal situation, too, because that was really the only way that your fans were going to get to that, that stadium, honestly, right before the game, um, the DJ was like, you know, called out each fan base and was like, if you're cheering for the Chiefs, make some noise. And then there was like some noise and it was louder than I thought. And then all of a sudden he was like, all right, if you're cheering for the Bucks, make some noise. And the stadium erupted. And I was like, it had to have been like 70, 30 Bucks fans. And the only way that happens is because you're in your home stadium and it's COVID and people can't travel. So, um, the silver lining of all of that was that the city really got to be involved um, in this championship in a way that they wouldn't have been able to had it not been in our stadium. 
Kermit, a couple of questions for you. Um, since you're back from holidays, um, has Anto Antoine Winfield Jr., is he still carrying the belt around? Because uh, uh, <laughs> I know he had that po in the post-match interviews, but he also had it a couple of days later. He still seemed to have those ski goggles as well. And also, we've seen BA got the tattoo. Um, it, it seems like, and uh, Tom Brady then had a bit of fun. It seems like that camaraderie that exists. And we talked a little bit, obviously, before the Super Bowl, but the players, like, they respond to BA in such a manner, and they, they, they really would run through a brick wall for the guy. <laughs> we all would, honestly. Uh, but, I mean, that tattoo is just kind of another example of how well he manages to relate to these players, despite the fact that he is 68 years old, um, and he's he's a 68 year old white guy, and he is a, he has always just been so good at relating to so many different kinds of people, um, and that that stems from his upbringing in York, Pennsylvania, which is a very diverse um, area of Pennsylvania, and just his different stops along the way. He's just had that knack to relate to people and in different ways. And I think the tattoo was such a good example of that. And he's actually not the only one on staff that now has one. <laughs> so there's been a couple more. Um, there, there, was, there was one more that I would think will be revealed at some point um, that got a tattoo. And so like the coaching staff just in general, they, they are so good with the players. The players love them. Uh, a lot of our guys have gotten tattoos too. Antoine Winfield Jr. being one of them. Jamel Dean, I think, just got one. I feel like every week there's another post of a guy getting a tattoo, but why not? Cameron, we saw when Tom Brady was signing the recontract, you know, he was already kind of pushing for the fact that he's going back to potentially win another ring. And I suppose when you, once you're working for the books, I'm sure you're keeping a close eye on what's happening in the division. And whilst the books are a very settled team now, I, I don't think that you could say that for the other three teams. I mean, Breeze has retired. Panthers have just traded this week for Sam Darnold and the Falcons are picking a four. Nobody knows if they're going to make a quarterback, trade out of that position. I mean, what's your what's your thoughts on the division as a whole going forward? Yeah, um, it's kind of like the parting of the Red Sea in a way. <laughs> you just kind of see the clear path to the division at this point. Um, just because, and I don't say that because I don't think the other teams are talented by any stretch of the imagination. It's just that they have changes. And they have major changes that they're going to have to contend with. Whereas now the Bucks are coming into this next season with something they didn't have before, which is which is continuity and experience and this swagger and this confidence in themselves from being at that mountaintop. So I just think that that gives you such a huge advantage. And seeing all of the change up from all the other teams, it, again, just kind of you you really get to thinking, okay, this success this next year is very, very feasible, especially within the division, and then hopefully beyond. Carmen, I'm, I'm not going to try and claim the box as, as Irish, but, you know, we, we feel there's a bit of an affinity <laughs> there. I mean, you, you came on our show, you know, you've got a quarterback called Tom Brady, there's strong Irish roots there. And even, obviously, during media day, when we were on with the players from both teams, um, Sean Murphy Bunting was asked the question mm -hmm. by uh, Colin there, and... Uh, you know, showed us his freckles. Oh, Michael. Sorry, Michael. <laughs> uh, you look the same, guys. What can I say? But um, Sean Murphy Bunting, obviously, Murphy in the name, and showed us his freckles and admitted his Irish connection. So, um, you know, great degree of affinity and great congratulations to you guys. Of course, though, outside of all of that, attention always turns to next season, and you're talking about next season, you're talking about the things. 
I can't help but notice there's one of those games of 17 that might have significance for Irish yeah. fans and for quarterbacks of a particular team as well. And I'm thinking with you writing for the Buccaneers, surely you can rewrite that story already and that's one game you can take off because when the Buccaneers play the Patriots next season, um, you know, there might be a few connections drawn between, you know, staff members, shall we say. I just remember when we signed Tom Brady, when the Bucs signed Tom Brady last March and actually it came out, obviously he left the Patriots on St. Patrick's Day. But the very first thing that people said was, oh, hey, the Buccaneers play the page to go up to Gillette Field, Gillette Stadium in 2021. And that has been an arrow, a circle, a, you know, an X marks the spot on that game since then. So it's been a two, it'll be a two year buildup essentially uh, to that game. And it's going to be very interesting. And I think obviously the storyline is going to be more of, Belichick and, and Brady and I've had a lot of Patriots fans that I know have said to me well Brady may have won the battle but Belichick will win the war and it's just like it's one of those things where I kind of just want everyone to have fun and I think they can both be successful but this is going to be a very interesting time where they can go head-to-head um, and you see what each one is capable of so I have to imagine that's going to be we don't know the schedule yet so I can't I can't wait to see when that happens in the season, but I have to think it's going to be prime time. <laughs> I was going to just about to say, I've got a sneaking suspicion the NFL might steer that towards a prime time slot. Just a little bit. If it, I tell you what, if it was not, I mean, it won't be a good, if it was in Tampa Bay, it would be a great one to kick off the season. I guess Tampa Bay is going to kick the season off. I'm going to go back to February again, Carmen. Sorry for me. It's the last one for me. Um, one thing that I think a lot of people noticed was because the journalists were all on Zoom calls and, and us, us as well, boys, were, were on Zoom calls and we weren't on the field at the end of it, it was almost like that innocence of just everything that was going on. It was amazing to watch because you could almost actually appreciate it more watching it on TV. You being in a stadium, how did you find that when, just when the game ended and then just that, I guess, that period after the game as well? Yeah, I honestly... I feel like I had more of a reaction in the NFC Championship because I was there in Green Bay as well. And I had that moment where I broke down and I cried in the press box next to a couple of our beat writers because I knew that the Bucks were going to the Super Bowl at that point. But when the actual confetti came down, I mean, I'm trying to you know finish all my stuff and get everything done. Uh, my dad and my brother got to be in the game, so that was huge. But then I go down onto the field and you know, all the confetti had come down and I'm looking around and I'm looking at the stadium and it just, it couldn't, it didn't hit me yet because there was such a familiarity with the stadium that I was like, this is just any other game, right? <laughs> this is the, this is the normal, this is our normal stadium. Like there was some of that. I mean, it did look a lot different in a lot of ways, but it honestly didn't hit me until like a week later and I was in my car and I just, it hit then. And I, I had to pull over and I started crying. <laughs> but the players were, I mean, the family is getting to run on, out onto the field with them. And I saw Mike Evans in the tunnel right after. And it was just one of those, like, we did it! And it was this huge, like, relief. And I don't think a lot of those guys really, um, it hit them for a couple of days. But they all kept talking about the speech that Tom Brady gave right before the game. Um, there were some rumblings about that, I think, afterwards, if you were paying attention to some of the media availability. But even at the after party, I was talking to guys 
and they were bringing they were all talking like amongst themselves about it and how much like that made them realize what they were about to do so yeah thanks tom brady for for setting the mood and setting the you know the atmosphere for these guys because it, it, it helped them for sure Cameron, it's it's fascinating to to see, I suppose, the impact of BA, the impact of Brady. It, it's just a phenomenal culture that's been created, and it's been really great to have you on to talk to us pre Super Bowl, and now again to gain the insights. We want to thank you for taking the time to chat to us, and uh, maybe we can have you back on again before the the season starts and uh, get a season prediction out of you. Yeah, I'm really hoping that training camp is going to be pretty normal this year so that's that's the hope right now but i am love coming on your guys' show thank you guys so much for having me so i'll hopefully talk to you soon carmen thank you just uh, just uh, just uh, not even your head and talk now i'm just overcome with emotion here about tom brady's face there but f- thank you uh, just you know obviously for your <laughs> help coming on before the super bowl and also the help from the organization for the box as well they, they, they were great to us and, and, we, and we massively appreciate you no, oh, I will pass that along to the RPR team, who are, who are the ones that do all that. So thank you. I'll talk to you guys later. Thanks, Carmen. Thanks, Carmen. Thanks, Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. Uh, that was awesome. Lots to hear from Carmen Vitalia. Fantastic. Uh, Super Bowl champion now. Uh, she'll have a ring in a couple of months as well. So I presume so. So obviously, congratulations to her. Yeah. Let's see if they can like No, everybody in the organization gets a Super Bowl ring. That's how it well. I presume I so, anyway. I presume I so. Anyway. Uh, Lads, we, we, we need to go in a few minutes, but is there any final any, any final words? We've went an hour without talking about the Broncos and the Giants, which I think is a really good achievement. So, um, uh, I was going to say, Michael, Carmen bringing up Tom Brady's speech there. I was reading some uh, great article on ESPN actually today about John Madden, who's turned 85, and his speech to his team before the 1976 Super Bowl, where they finally uh, broke their like streak, if you like, because they've been stymied by the Steelers in the AFC Championship a few times went along the lines of a two-minute ramble, but ended with the line, gentlemen, today is the most important game of your lives as long as you win it. And that was it. That was the moment they all stampeded out. And sure, Brady's now, what is it, 10 Super Bowls? I lose count that he's been in. So he's had plenty of practice to make that speech. So um, not surprising he inspired. No. 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 We didn't go. We didn't go an hour without Mark talking about Brady. Maybe that could be one for next week. Let's, let's, see, let's see what happens. Uh, we are back, Brian. Who have we got tomorrow night? Justin Simmons is coming on tomorrow night. A really good interview. Uh, quality player on the field. Quality off the field. His his time he gave us was absolutely fantastic, and it was a really good interview. So well worth the watch. And Colin, who's coming on Sunday night? Uh, dra- draft expert Matt Miller, uh, who uh, we are looking forward to, to chatting to and to getting his insights into what he expects teams to do in less than three weeks, uh, where we are all, uh, you know, as Rich Eisen said, filled with hope and convinced that it's going to be the year for our teams. It is. It is indeed. That, that, that's my thought. Anyway, uh, Mark, do you want to see us out? Ethan Watt, gents, good to see you as always, and look forward to the show Saturday and Sunday night. Yeah, uh, subscribe to the podcast. We're giving away an NFL draft camp mark Check it out on Twitter, and we will see you uh, next week. Well, see you tomorrow night for Simmons, but see you live again next Friday.